Trident Wargaming. Build it, paint it, play it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Hour of Power with Arthur, Ryan, and Scotty. Uh, our illustrious host, Bill, is uh, unable to join us this week, but that is fine since we're going to be talking today all about the team event that the three of us just did down in Strathmore, uh, bringing home the goods for Team Trident here. And uh, we'll be re recapping that with with you guys, and also uh, we're gonna have a little little chat about some of the balance changes that GW threw us last week. But as usual, you guys know that we start off every episode by touching base with some hobby stuff. Uh, just talk about what guys have been working on lately, and we're gonna lead with Arthur here, who always has the best goods. So Arthur, show us what show us what you've been up to. Since Ryan's here, am I the color guy or is he? Uh, I know. You're not the lactose guy, but that's for sure. Uh, more on the uh, victory milkshakes later, and if you don't know, I'm lactose intolerant, so it was a very, very crucial drive from Red Deer to Edmonton. Ryan drives 80 kilometers an hour. Yeah. Uh, in, I... in the hobby this week, I have done sweet fuck all. Uh, the most I've done is hobby repairs. <laughs> like, we had two weekends of back-to-back -back tournaments. I have played 18 games of 10th edition. Uh... I have won 16 games, and I think that's, you know, largely thanks to a little bit of overpowered Eldar stuff. Uh, but I didn't do a lot of, like, hobbying this week. It was mostly just tournament prep. Um, I think I got maybe, like, Illic built. Maybe I got some uh, Striking Scorpions built that aren't going to see play until we see a nerf the Devastating Wounds and Lone Operative. And just, you know, I got some Storm Guardians finished. Uh, I have a whole bunch of bare plastic that's like waiting for primer and paint, but I'm going to finish this Wraith Knight over here before anything else. And I think that's going to take me, you know, a little bit longer than the regular model. Ryan, what have you been working on? Uh, I've been slowly, I got these all designed up to mock up the Ferncare Warrior Grav Bike, so I decided to do it on my Land Fortress and my Sagittaire. It's a little old, it's been like this for a week or two now. But I decided, I was like, I probably should do start doing all of the bases so I can at least put them on the model, get them primed. And the one thing is not my favorite part about this hobby is painting. But uh, <laughs> I have to do it. Just like I painted up, oh, what is an tyrant? So if you, for the listeners out there who are, uh, you know, listening on Podbean or whatever, um, Ryan has some Votan uh, tanks. I think one's the Sagittar. Maybe one was a Land Fortress. I'm not sure. I don't quite know the Votan tanks. And uh, rather than them being on treads, he kind of has them like hovering, kind of like the uh, the Space Marine Repulsors or the Votan jet bikes. But I did actually get this painted up in time for the Trios event, which I was very happy about. How He's vital was sharp. he for this weekend? Uh, he makes me regret putting a Volcano Cannon on him. <laughs> it's a very scary profile, strength 20, minus 5, d6 plus 8 damage. But he has to hit things. And I think the entire event, he hit three times, wounded twice, and he killed one tank the entire event. But having a 2-up save, armor, contempt, and cover 
essentially giving him a zero up save. He's just a big model of what can someone do. So that was the, I think he was more of a scare factor all weekend, which was kind of nice. I, I got to say, uh, Ryan, I know uh, anybody who's not able to catch the video of this one is missing out because I actually think those hover pads on the, the Hecaton and the Sagittar look amazing. I think it's a wicked good conversion. And I think it's going to look great once you do kind of get those guys all settled up and, and out there on the uh, on the tabletop. Hey, next time we do uh, attend an event that has that like frontline gaming fact, you can say all your right hands are Harlequins and everything has a conversion pad. <laughs> yep. There you go. The guys underneath the canopy are, uh, I think, crew. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> They're all my crew little warriors. For anyone that doesn't know, uh, the Frontline Gaming rubric has scoring based on like paint, but there's a huge category component for conversions. And uh, if you have the most beautiful army in the world that is like, I don't know, Sergio Calvo good, Angel Geralda is good, but has zero conversions, you'll actually lose out to someone who puts some dumb fucking shit on their model and says, boom, that's converted. It's, uh, it is a flawed rubric, in my opinion. I think that events shouldn't run the FLG rubric. I think it is the gold standard because no other gold standard that is like, I don't know. This is like play yogurt in a world where we have Greek yogurt. Uh, this is like Canadian football when there's NFL football. This is like watching minor league hockey when we have uh, Hockey Night in Canada. That rubric fucking sucks and we need a better one. Uh, you could call it the bronze standard. They, just, they haven't invented much else yet, maybe. <laughs> the bronze age of rubrics is what it is. Yeah, yeah, the stone age, maybe. Um, I know that we're going to spend like probably way too much time reminiscing about our, our weekend here uh, down in Strathmore with this, this trios team tournament. But just before we do, I do want to, for everybody, just kind of touch base real quick, get some thoughts from you guys about the balance patch that did come in last week. Uh, I think it came in on like Wednesday or Thursday. Um, and it didn't make a ton of changes to the game. I mostly just bumped the, the points up on a few Eldar items, as well as a lot of towering and indirect items throughout the game. It also made a big change to Fate Dice. Um, but I would like to kind of get a little thought, bit of thoughts from you guys. Do you like them? Do you like not like the changes? Uh, I, I think we already know most people have a good idea of what was missed and what probably needs to still be touched on. Um, but do you guys approve of the way they changed the things they did? And how much do you think those changes will affect the meta competitively going forward? Arthur, you're on the spot. Okay, so um, going into this event, we saw Eldar, or going into this balance patch, we saw Eldar with like a, uh, a win rate not seen since, I mean, Harlequins before it, or maybe Dark Eldar before it. <laughs> or any or, or, or Tyranids. Uh, Tyranids, yeah. Elves aren't the problem, guys. Uh, and so uh, they also saw a, a win rate with uh, Imperial Knights, more so than Chaos Knights. And what Games Workshop decided to do was apply a blanket points increase to Towering, um, and uh, a small points increase to like Fire Prisms as the only thing ever, and uh, a change to Fate Dice with like. Pretty much no other changes besides, like, if you had, oh, indirect, and, and a minor change to indirect. If you had indirect plus, like, 20 points in your ship. Uh, I think that overall, these were lazy fixes. I think that it is the equivalent of, like, a balance chat, balance patch that doesn't address the root of problems, but rather just takes the, like, the most simplest, uh, you know, here's a 10% tax on all your shit. Um, 
I strongly think that this balance patch is not enough to curb Eldar into like away from S tier, away from the best army in the game, or maybe second best after Cult, based on what we're seeing this weekend. But like nobody plays Cult, so Eldar will continue to put up more results. Um, and it, it's just not quite enough. If we want to see true changes to the game, we need to bin Lone Operative. Um, fake dice, the dice are, are probably fine now. Uh, Devastating Wounds is still a problem, and that's not just in Eldar, that's in a couple other armies. Uh, like, imagine if Sisters of Battle had Devastating Wounds. So maybe there is an interaction between Fate Dice and Devastating Wounds that is problematic. Uh, and I actually don't think just hiking the points cost on Knights and Chaos Knights and other towering things is an appropriate enough solution. Because the solution is, it's an oppressive, uninteractive playstyle where they can see your stuff, where they, the towering rule ignores obscuring. And maybe Ryan will disagree because he's our local Chaos Knights player. But the, that towering rule is the problem. Um, that's why they gave it a point psych, but like, I don't know if that's enough. Frankly, knight players, based on who I've talked to, they want to play big knights. That's why you play knights. right? Like Little knights are fun, but like it's the big knights that draw people to the faction. That's the cool shit. And just giving them a point psych takes away from doing that. I don't know if that's a good enough solution. Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah, that's kind of what uh, the fake dice were big. I think they were a big change. We had, what, two games on Thursday to practice? We did practice I think two it, games. I think the fake dice made it a playable game where beforehand, I don't think I would have had my two big knights after turn one or two. They probably would have been gone. But at least in this point, I could, oh, you're only hopefully going to roll poorly, but... When you start rolling double sixes and this and that, uh, it starts to hurt a little bit. But, but at least it did for me. It felt like an actual game, which was kind of nice. The towering, I do want to play big knights, but the points increase. I think put my list up 250 points. So I was like, well, there goes a big knight. And back to a couple more small ones, which is unfortunate. But Are there any Chaos Knight players out there, you think, Ryan, that like they want to play only War Dogs? Like If they were given the option to play... Big Knights, do you think they would play them over War Dogs? Uh, I think that was a lot more Knight, because it was kind of Abaddon and his 13, his pack of 13 that ran around and gave him full rerolls. I think that was more gross. There was a lot of people that go, I was, I've been looking at a list that's one Big Knight and I think it's 11 Little Dogs. But you're like, when you're seeing profiles like the Brigand that has his Chain Cannon, Thermal, Havoc Launcher, which I was loving all weekend, but he hits on twos for 150 points. They're like, my list starts 600 points down because I usually run four only because I only own four. But that's pretty, it's a, it's a pretty good profile that extra AP on closest range shots it gets. So it was tearing a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of space Marines up, but I don't want to be grouped into, it's the unfortunate part where you're like, oh, it's Knights is the problem, but it's like, it's more Imperial Knights just because the bonuses they have. Like comparatively, because I tried out both lists, Imperial Knights are, a lot stronger than Chaos Knights, which is the unfortunate part, but so they kind of get grouped into that towering collection, like collective hub, and I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to get <laughs> this isn't my fault, leave me alone. But I, I think that's the sword I have to fall on. I think a lot of Chaos probably feel like that, Scott. Yeah, um, I think for sure they do. Uh, you know, I, I saw some interesting stats, uh, specifically from this last weekend, but, you know, kind of rolling along the whole edition, which is definitely showing, you know, Chaos Knights a solid, usually or somewhere around 10% uh, 
in arrears of Imperial Knights in a win percentage. Um, and for the most part, Chaos Knights, you know, honestly, it's not like the faction's bad. Um, they're usually winning, you know, somewhere between 49 and 52, 53% of their games, which is actually like balanced. That's, that's a good number. Um, but like you see Imperial Knights climbing quite a bit ahead of that. And it's like pretty obvious that the difference there isn't towering because towering's on both. It's, it's the other rules. Um, so I actually kind of wanted to mention or ask, uh, Ryan here a little bit about that because like, obviously towering was blanket, uh, uh, or struck with a blanket points increase, as was indirect. And this actually happens, uh, it affects a few other models and a few other armies too. I'm sure Tau players, there's a few of them that love their Storm Surges and Tau Nars, and they're kind of miffed about it too. <clears throat> but Ryan, like, from your perspective, as the guy who's on the other end of the towering debate, the guy who's vilified here, do you feel like like towering really is that problematic? Or do you feel like it's just... It is a different interaction. You have to interact with Chaos Knights different than other armies, but it's it's more just kind of a you need to learn to play around that, just like you need to learn to play around Eldar or Four Plus First Mortals or whatever, and that it's actually like fine. Like, what do you think? Uh, I think I I do think it is a problem in certain certain cir circumstances. Like Hometown had a neat rule where if any window was surrounded on four sides, it was obscured. That shut down quite a bit of shooting. Even first floor line of sight blocking when I played against a couple of Gene Stealer cult games. Just the weird angles you can get with a like a walkway that's on the other side of the window blocking it blocks a lot of the table that my knights can't see. So it's there's a lot of it blocking, but when someone tells me windows and doors are open, I'm like, good luck, boys, because uh, my knights love that. So I was looking for all obscure windows. I know it's a problem, but when someone gives me that chance, I'm like, I gotta take it. This army, this army's fun, and I want to hit you with a lot of shots. So, but I, I think I kind of. Oh, go ahead. oh, sorry. I think I don't want if they. I think if they do something like I've been saying before, I don't want how they went back to ninth edition where it shoots one way because they do that in tenth without terrain feature changes. Like vehicles can't shoot back unless they're wholly on the terrain feature. There's a lot of train features that won't fit knights. So if my what I've been saying for a while is if they're going to go that route, you can't shoot both ways. If I can't shoot you, you can't shoot me. And I think that's a that's one way that that's one possible solution to fixing it. Because in ninth, I was like, oh man, I'm getting shot at, but now I can touch my toe in, toe or you or your base into the building. I'm like, okay, now this ruin's unlocked. I'm allowed to shoot you back. But with 10th edition, edition rules, that's not a thing anymore because I don't think my tyrant base fits in half the terrain I played on on the weekend. So I'd no, be like, well, not. I'm getting shot at the entire time with yeah, nothing I, I can do. I agree. Um, just real quick, because we do want to move on. What would you guys, both of you, uh, think here about the idea of with towering, maybe applying the same rules to it that we apply to indirect? Where like, yeah, you can see through windows and stuff. You can see right through obscuring terrain. But if you have to do that, here's a minus to hit. You give them cover. I mean, I know a lot of weapons, it's not going to matter if you're giving them cover. But like, would that go, would that be enough to fix the issue? Do you think? Do you think that we should just scrap it and start from scratch? Throw some thoughts at me. Well, uh, you know, if that's the change... Uh, the the points cost of the race night didn't stop me from playing a race night. 
because the ability to shoot shit that's hiding from you uh, in the same way as indirect, but like a little bit further is so fucking good. Like I, I would, I'm, I, I don't ever want to give that up. Like having that race night there lets you pick off stuff that like normally holds an objective from a building that you can't see. And maybe he's out of the range of indirect. Uh, and you know, it's the towering models that have these big fuck off guns and big fuck off profiles that can pick anything up. And so that really enables you to kick people off their primary and score big points. Um, so, like, I don't know if, you know, changing the rules for indirect or giving the indirect rules that fixes that. Uh, what I do then is I'm going to play, and I know Eldar is a bad example because of how oppressive they are right now, but I'll play a Farseer Skyrunner and I'll give a Wraith Knight guide. Look, now, now I'm re-rolling hits. Who cares? Or uh, I'll find a way to, you know, I'll, I'll find the profile that has heavy in it. Or, or something like that to get the plus one to hit to ignore it. Or So like I, I don't think that's a fix. I, I still think that the obscuring rules enabled uh, all terrain to have an equal playing field. That like I think one of the things we talked about over the last few weeks is that pretty much no event organizer um, ever has ever had enough terrain. And that obscuring was kind of a fix for that. And like barring, you know, the London GT from a few years ago that was just uh, abysmal or even this last Adepticon or the LVO with a thousand players that didn't have enough terrain period, obscuring gives it a chance because you can even say, hey, this thing, let's call it obscuring, right? It's like a, uh, like a blanket fix for what is a pretty expensive part of the hobby that's not very fun terrain. So I say, let's scrap towering. Let's give it obscuring. Let's let knights hide. They're big models, and if they want to peek out, like, you know, a little bit to angle shoot so that they can see something, well, they can be seen. And that doesn't stop big knight players from wanting to play their big, cool models, but it also doesn't punish them for playing it either. So, revert the points changes, give everything obscuring, let's uh, not let towering shoot through um, buildings and ignore a core feature of the game, obscuring terrain, and let's call that a fix. But maybe the knight player disagrees with me. Ryan, your thoughts? Uh, I think the minus one, I I think that's something I do miss from ninth. Having a force that makes a minus one to hit. It gives me something. A lot of time, even other armies, you're like, oh, cool, I'm more of a melee army. Instead of being out in the open, I will, like with my custodes, you'd hide guides in a forest, waiting for the next round, and you're like, okay, minus one to hit. That's pretty big on a lot of armies. Yeah. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of that that's missing. There doesn't seem to be many negatives to hit out there anymore it's mainly your army's already hitting on fours or fives here's heavy there's a lot of like pluses to hit around but there's not many movement no negatives for that doing this or that there's a lot less negative aspects on i think the hit itself but right. i mean it seems like they just they changed the design philosophy from um, minuses to hit to like a slightly lower ballistic skill but pluses to hit yeah Something like that. And then they went, oh, well, you don't really want re-rolls, but your army gets full re-rolls. So and that's, the, that's the thing I'm missing. I think when I played, tested out Imperial Knights and Chaos Knights, I was like, oh, Imperial Knights, all these re-rolls to hit and wound. Depending on the event you go to, it's either 1-1, one, one, one hit to, of 1 and a wound of 1. But some people play it as full re-rolls, so you're like, uh-oh, this is a... Uh, Quite the difference, depending on where you are. Well, I'm sure that we will be seeing uh, this debate stretch on for at least as long as the next uh, points update or, or balance data slate. I think GW still has some work to do. 
Uh, it's definitely one of the bigger debates in 40k as far as rules go. So it'll be at the very least entertaining uh, to <laughs> to keep talking about it. Um, we're gonna move on to the meat of this episode, which is us recapping our our sojourn down south uh, to Strathmore, Alberta, for a team tournament this weekend. Uh, this uh, was a team tournament. Being put on by uh, Hobbs Hobbies from Strathmore uh, with uh, Ozzy, Ozzy Malak, and uh, Darren Jack down there uh, running things. Um, team tournaments, as you know, we'll talk a bit more about at the end of the episode here, are a unique and incredible experience. If you ever get the chance to do them, you absolutely should. They definitely are different from your regular tournament. There's a whole lot more strategizing going on, uh, but that's kind of part of the fun. Um, Strathmore is a, a beautiful little town down there. Uh, it's probably what I think we doing three and a half hour drive for us to get there from Edmonton about. Yep, so yeah. It's uh, actually pretty accessible for, for us. <clears throat> and of course, very accessible for the Calgary boys. Uh, this was a five round tournament, a GT as it were three games on the first day and two on the second, pretty much the same structure you'd find in uh, most uh, GTs nowadays. And we were using the new GT pack, uh, the new GW terrain layouts, all the 10th edition Leviathan stuff. Uh, the Hobbs and, Hobbies and the was providing changes. terrain. And the, yeah, and the balance changes. The balance, we this was with the brand new balance changes, which did <laughs> cause some shuffling literally just a couple days before the event. But uh, things worked out pretty well, I'd say. We uh, had hoped to uh, have, I think, we were hoping for around 10 teams to show up, but unfortunately there were some drops in the last, very last week. Just some guys struggling with some things I hear. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of our Edmonton teams uh, didn't end up making it. I think we were just one of two teams who did end up getting down there. So unfortunately we ended up with only seven teams to play through, uh, which was always a little bit of a strain to have to get a ringer team to play just to get yourselves even numbers. But I think Ozzy and, and co handled it incredibly well. Uh, we also were struck with uh, literally the wrath of God, where BCP decided to crash uh, and have a real tough buggy weekend. So they ended up having to run things old school, manual uh, writing out of, of scores and things. Uh, so I really do want to stress before we get into anything that uh, whatever all else, the TOs and everybody did an incredible job under very difficult circumstances. Uh, to put on this event and to run things the way they did. Um, you know, there were obviously some hiccups and delays and things, but when you consider just how hard it is to run a tournament when everything's going well, uh, I think these guys just did spectacular. Um, we'll talk about kind of our overall impressions of the tournament stuff at the end here, but before we do that, I want to run down, just just give like one minute real quick recaps of all of your five games that everybody played. Uh, we'll start with Arthur and then do Ryan and I'll, I'll take up at the end there. <clears throat> and, uh, if you guys could just, just kind of walk us through how your games went. Yeah. Um, I think it's important before we do that, Scotty, if you want to explain to any listeners out there who have never been part of a team tournament, how exactly the structure of that is a bit different from a regular tournament. Yeah, for sure. Um, so team, I mean, this, this particular team tournament was just a three man teams. Uh, I think in 40 K five man teams are, are quite common. Uh, and four mans, three mans, uh, even sometimes six mans at, at really big events. The general just, there are a couple different styles, but the general just sees teams uh, be paired up into each other each round. And from there, they usually follow one of two different styles where the teams will pair off players against each other. Uh, sometimes they'll do like a coin flip or, or a little Rochambeau or whatever to kind of get a first pick and they might snake draft their way through. So one team will pick 
one player from the other team that they want to play or that they want to match up against, and then the other team will go back and forth, etc. In this case, for this particular tournament, we actually had to secretly pass a single player over to the other team without knowing what the other team was doing. And they would use their two players who hadn't been passed to match up against that guy uh, that we had passed, and we would do the same. And then the two players who didn't get picked for either matchup would match up third. Uh, and then each each player kind of plays their game independently. There's no real crossing between them. And at the end of all three games, you then get a score, like a match score between them. Obviously, somebody either wins two to one or three to nothing. Or as we saw, sometimes you get like a win, a loss, and a draw. <clears throat> in which case, you then need to go to secondary scoring, like things like uh, I think they were using battle points as their tiebreaker, uh, which is again fairly common. And uh, the team gets a win or a loss based on that. Yeah, so uh, we decided to bring down um, what was the most competitive factions uh, within each of our, you know, locus of control. I brought the Eldar because they're fucking kicking shit right now. Uh, Scotty brought some custodes, and Ryan brought some chaos knights because we couldn't double up on custodes. I think if we could, <laughs> yeah, we would have. Yeah, that is quite common in team tournaments that you can only bring a given faction once per team. That's right. Um, so. Uh, I played five games in Warhammer. Uh, I played against Tau first. Uh, and I kind of thought going into that game that Tau had no legs, but they have the unique ability to leverage a bit of lone operative on on like a ghost keel. And ghost keels are hard to kill to begin with. Now, if you make them untargetable outside 12, the anti-tank that would normally be needed to pick them up kind of can't. So they're a little bit of a problem. Um, he had... Uh, one of the ethereals is a lone operative, and like can have a two-up invol save for a phase, uh, and is otherwise quite tanky. Uh, and I think he had one more lone op, uh, and like that was kind of hard to deal with because if I'm playing an elder list that relies on three D cannons and a wraith knight to try to challenge the midboard, well, I use my lone operatives to hold the midboard, but I couldn't really do that here. I had to get creative in a way, and it ended up being a lot harder than I thought it would be based on how people have been shit talking the tau codex. Uh, that ended up being a victory to the Eldar in like about like a 90-60 split, mostly because I went first on Servo Skulls. Uh, if you are an organizer, if you are thinking about organizing, do not put Servo Skulls in your player pack. It is a garbage mission that rewards going first. Take it out. It's fucking terrible. Don't use it. Listen to um, GW. It's <laughs> not a it's not a competitive mission. It is not a competitive mission. It is a like it is a fun mechanic, but what happens is the player who goes first just kicks the football down the field. Uh doesn't score points, the player who goes second kicks it back to the middle, if they can. Uh, when you go again to round two, turn one, or, or player one gets to kick it back and score points. Player two has to kick it back and doesn't score points. And then rinse and repeat worth an overwhelming victory for primary for whoever went first. So it's not a great mission. Um, I ended up taking the victory, like I said. Game two, I ended up playing uh, a Custodes player who was kind of playing, like a, almost it seemed like a ninth edition list. It almost seemed like he was playing uh, a little bit of Highlander with like one of each profile each, but uh, he managed to get into combat a little bit earlier than I wanted him to, and Trajan one-hit Aquita, the Wraith Knight, with minus one to wound. Uh, Trajan <laughs> ignores modifiers. Like, he ignores charistic modifiers at all. So, like, <laughs> Ryan has a joke about how he could ignore, uh, you know, removing his wound characteristic. So he's That is a characteristic. <laughs> So Trajan is functionally immortal and can never die. That's not how the way anyone plays it. But uh, Custodes have fucking legs into nerfed Eldar. 
Like, I think that that is a possibly winnable match. Custodies probably have to go first, so they only have to weather one to two rounds of LR shooting before they get picked up. Uh, and I think it needs, like, a certain bit of list tech. You probably have to have two squads of big guard, which he didn't have. But uh, they're they're definitely a, a, a really good army. Uh, Elder picked up the victory there as well. Uh, and then game three saw me drop my only game uh, all weekend to the mirror match in Eldar. He was playing a bit more shooty Eldar. He didn't have a Wraith Knight. He had three fire prisons instead with the standard loadout of, you know, 3D cannons and some other change. Uh, and he went first, and because he had those three fire prisms, he was able to, you know, garner a little bit of value. I reserved the Wraith Knight, but it uh, didn't kill fucking anything when it came in. It missed a shot on Eldrad, it missed a Hornet, and it missed a uh, a Wave Serpent. And those aren't ideal Wraith Knight targets, but those are the ones that, you know, Eldar will present you with. You're not going to get ideal targets when you're dealing into Phantasm. I kind of whiffed, and I think that going first and the Wraith Knight not picking up value solved the game. Uh, I didn't lose bad. We managed to stifle a victory there, just scoring points to like like a 95 to 70-something loss for me. Uh, game four, I got matched into Chaos Space Marines. Uh, and if anything knows anyone about Chaos Space Marines, we know that they have some pretty wide melee combat and their ability to stack uh, like keyword buffs, like sustained hits, lethal hits, uh, rerolls, is pretty fucking powerful. But uh, I went first on a hammer and anvil deployment, and so every time a melee army comes over half, they get punished. And I actually think on the relic, he didn't have to come over half. I think he shouldn't have. I think he should have just kept his relics on his side of the table and like just never came within range of a decan. And I think he probably could have pulled up a victory, but he chose not to. And I think that was a mistake. Um, even if sorry to interrupt you, yeah. sorry to interrupt you, Arthur. The, that was uh, the ritual, right? You were playing. Yeah, the ritual. So yeah, okay. the ritual is unique in that you have to place an objective down within nine of uh, an objective of no man's land or yours. Uh, but that new objective has to be in no man's land. But that's only the 40 mil base. So you can still place those relatively on your side of the board and kind of hard to get it. And if you're playing a melee army that's out of range of D cannons, you're kind of just challenging someone. Hey, come within charge distance. I don't know why he didn't do that. He was a great opponent otherwise, but I think it was just a tactical blunder on his end. Uh, my last game was against Necrons, and uh, he was playing Destroyer Heavy. So, uh, two six-man Destroyer squads, uh, as many heavy Locust Destroyers as you can possibly take. And then, you know, the unkillable uh, Warrior Blob, and the very, very unkillable Lich Guard Blob. Uh, unless you fucking spike harder than you've ever spiked before on Devastating Wounds, and you just pick it up anyways. Um, I think that Necrons have legs. And I don't know if they've been undervalued by, like, the people who make tier lists. Um, I don't think that, uh, like, it seems weird. I don't think that they take the melee stuff anymore. I think that now they're like a shooting army with some durable capability. Uh, I ended up winning that one too, because I spiked on mortals, but, uh, it was still a good game. All in all, on my end of the team, I went four and one. Um, and it was actually really thanks to Ryan picking up the victory where I took a loss that we enabled to come out six and no, or five and no for a team tournament. Ryan, how were your games? Uh, it was pretty good. I was the only one that was fortunate enough to get to play against two Stompas, which I've never seen before, and uh, my friend was loving the idea that there was two Stompas in the only Orcs list that each ran a Stompa. First one was against Ara, who ended up winning Best Painted, and it was well-deserved. His Stompa had lights coming out of it, smoke coming out of the smokestacks. It was... But you can vape out of the Stompa, right? Yeah, yeah, it was sweet. 
oh, a sweet, a sweet model. He brought, <laughs> yeah, he brought a model that I thought was part of his display board, the head busta bunker. And I was like, oh man, that's a sweet addition to your display board. And he told me, no, that's a model I use in this army. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that was even a thing. But I guess I'll find <laughs> out what that is on the first turn. Uh, he put that down. That one game went well. The uh, Stompa was pretty scary. He had a mech running around with it. They both had mechs with it, hitting on fours. It didn't do as much as I thought it was going to until it blew up and it did 12 mortal wounds to my war dog and it killed the <laughs> war dog. So I was like, oh, well, that was interesting. Works are interesting in that they have like actually good shooting profiles, except for the fact that their ballistic skill fucking sucks. Yeah, it would be a lot scarier. But that's what I was saying to my friend. I was like, eight hundred points. Uh, it's more like eight fifty five because you are bringing a mech. It's lone operative next to it. It heals it, gives it a plus one to hit. So you're running that second game. Another I was say, Sorry to interrupt you, Ryan. Oh. Uh, why don't you? Just, just for clarity here, why don't you make sure that you're you're letting people know this uh, particular event had a very particular ruling on terrain, which I think is, oh, yeah. is relevant. My, so why don't you tell them about that? So Friday night, we were looking through lists going, who's going to play what? And that was kind of the Saturday morning. We kind of had an idea of, okay, if, when we, if we play these teams, we kind of have an idea of who we're going to throw out to them so they can start choosing. I don't think the first round, I think the first round I might have been picked to go out, but it got a lot better when the TO announced that windows and doors were open for this event and first floor line of sight blocking was not a thing. So my little towering heart went, <laughs> good luck to you, anyone. You, had a, you were rock hard. You had a boner for the rest of the event. Like yeah, I was loving that. Bag, I was like, very good luck to anyone trying to hide behind buildings and everything. So that played a factor into both my Space Marine games because uh, I could see everything on the train. There was a small crack. And I'm like, I'm sorry I'm doing this, man, but I can see you. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to have to shoot. It's very relevant to our, our earlier conversation on towering. Anyhow, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Feel free to keep going with your yeah, game, too. Second game was against uh, Dave Crookshank's brother, Thomas. Uh, part of the Council of Tom, which was a very funny team name. Great group of guys to play against. Hey, what was Thomas's teammate's name? Tom. And <laughs> I think it might have been Tommy, depending on their age. Right, it was Tom, Tommy, and Thomas. But he brought another Stompa, which got into combat and I, with, with a war dog. I was kind of sending in war dogs to slow him down. And then he hit me and went, that will be 40 wounds. And I was like, oh. Well, I hope this blows up to start hurting you down. But the whole my whole thought process for both those games with the Orcs was, how can my 66 of indirect just start killing the boys holding the objectives while his stompa comes at me? Uh, when his truck blew up, we had to look up the rule if he was allowed to charge. Turns out you're not allowed to charge when your transport blew up. So he had a unit of Mega Knob sit two inches away from me, and they couldn't do anything because they blew up. So that was a great next turn of me taking them off the board. Now, is that only if a vehicle blows up, or is that if a vehicle is destroyed? Uh, destroyed, sorry. Okay, so you, if, if there's a transport full of really killy shit and you destroy it, 
there's a melee unit inside, they have to fucking sit on it and spin during their turn. Yeah. Yeah, they're stuck there. It counts as they make it, they made a normal move. Uh my army loves it and Arthur doesn't think it's too relevant, but they do get battle shocked. And they're yeah. not allowed to charge, which is a rule I did not know and we looked up to my delight that they couldn't charge me. Cause uh another aspect of my game all weekend was Overwatch. And when I have a 18-shot Gatling and a 3D6 plus 6, 2D6 plus 6 battle cannon, he loves Overwatch. So he took out that truck in his movement phase, which I call my pseudo-shooting phase. Because I'm pretty sure that was my most used strategy all weekend. It was probably used 20 times, easily. And then third game was against, uh, I played Grey Knights, which was interesting. I haven't played them before. And I told the guy, I am sorry, but this might be interesting because my Gatling loves Space Marines. 18 shots, hits on three, strength six, minus two, two damage. I didn't realize Grey Knights had a two-up save, which was a kind of a wake-up when I was shooting my minus five. And he's like, oh, I have a six-up save. I was like, ooh, that's, that's kind of neat to have for you to have. But <laughs> I think you put Terminators right in the open. Right, no, they're in a building, and I was like, "Hey, man, I can see them through this crack." Or I saw a guy sitting on his home objective through a window, and I was like, "I'm only using what I was given this morning to my advantage." And that that despoiler picked up five man terminators with a librarian in it with the battle cannon combined. I was like, "Ooh, I'm sorry, man." Next round, picked up everything on his home objective. I was like, uh, "This is not good." Turn two, I think he was down 800 points. And he might have hit me with two shots. I might have been down two wounds. But I was like, this is, uh, I'm sorry this is happening. Now, like, to begin with, I'm not sure how Grey Knights beat Knights. Like, they don't That's, have the melee profiles was... to do it anymore outside of a Dread Knight. Uh, they don't have the shooting to do it. And now they're down and they're playing a thousand points into just some tyrants coming at them. Yeah, that's kind of the... I was like, uh, this'll be fun. There are mortal wounds. He had the librarian that can spike mortal wounds. If he rolls a six, it's like 2d6 mortal wounds, which he did roll a six, and I think he hit me for nine mortal wounds. I was like, oh no, this is... Uh, this might be how he goes. So I was like, well, that guy is the next one I'm targeting to take him down, because I'm not... When I don't get saves against it, like Eldar or mortal wounds, I'm like, uh, maybe that's my next target. So I started going for that. Just mortal wounds, by the way. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, next game was against Logan with Dark Angels. Great guy. He brought a list that wasn't... I don't think you would see it normally for Dark Angels. It was kind of what he had painted. Great-looking army. It was what he had painted, what he wanted to play. It was his first event, and I was like, I'm sorry, uh, I don't want to do this, but it's going to happen. And uh, I think I picked up 1,400 points of his army turn one. Good Wait, you offer them lube or you just spit on it? Uh, I apologized beforehand and I closed his eyes for him. <laughs> but, it's it's kind of a rite of passage, you know, if you're a yeah. new player at the tournament, that you eventually run into a bit of a steamrolling, though, so... But don't stop was, showing up. You're going to learn more from losing those games hard. You're going to learn some really cool stuff you never even considered. And then you can be the one giving the pounding. Yep. Yeah, he won his first two games, actually. He won his first two, lost his third. And then I was like, oh, no, I hope he doesn't. I hope he still wants to go to tournaments after this. Great guy. Showed him a couple of tricks that 
I had kind of in my mind. Uh, There's a couple moments where I was like, he had rules he wanted to use, and I was like, go right ahead. He's like, nope, I forgot to use this rule, uh, like a stratagem. I think it was the armor contempt one. He's like, nope, I forgot it. This is how I learn. Don't let me go back on it. I was like, sounds good. And then I was like, okay, shoot with my next unit. He's like, oh, I'm using it now because uh, if I don't, I'm in trouble. But that was like, uh, well, going back to the Grey Knights guy, he, I think he got area denial and he had a unit of, in, I think it was three Inceptors standing on the other side of a wall. And I was like, as soon as they come out of this wall and touch the middle objective and stand in the middle, I'm overwatching. And he's like, wait, what? And I was like, I will overwatch that unit coming into the middle. If they don't come into the middle, I will not overwatch them. That's what I'm saving it for. As like a, this is going to happen. And then he had to come out to try to score points, and they were picked up in his movement phase with Overwatch. Do you so think like, that was the right tactical decision for him? Like, should if he stayed put, should it be tried for? Him? I don't think there. I don't know if there was much else. I think he was just trying to score points, but I don't think because the building was. I was able to see if he sat there in my movement phase as going into the middle and just killing him. So there was a chance. Like I did it to. Logan, he came out to go, and I was like, I'm going to Overwatch, thinking I would kill a lot more than I did, because he did the same idea, and I only killed one Space Marine with all of my shooting. I was like, oh, so there was the chance if he had one model live, it would have been a big, big, I guess, big deal for him. It would have been, I think it was eight points at the time for something, Air Denial and another objective. So it was one of those hope and pray. They were, that's kind of what they were doing. It was neat to to play around the, their whole shtick of if you come within nine of them they can go up and deep strike this and that so it was oh i'm within nine i'm just not moving because if i move right now you're gonna run away and i don't this is the target i want to kill right so i was like i'm not moving that's the game that uh uh arthur had his loss scott had his win that turned into a draw which he'll probably talk about and then i was like oh thank god i scored enough points to upset <laughs> Arthur's loss, just to kind of squeak in that win for the that round. Uh, then I, yeah, played Logan. Great game, lots of fun. Glad he enjoyed it. Then my fifth game, we were hoping to put me into Thousand Suns, but unfortunately the guy got sick the night before. He didn't feel well, so we ended up having a second Necron on the opposing team. So I was like, I'm gonna go into Sisters. Sisters of Battle. Arthur doesn't think they're very strong, not- but when you run. When you run tanks and they take a wound, they're now hitting you on twos. They also get a lot stronger if you use stratagems on their dead models to shoot back at you, which I I got egg on my face going back from the event, reading over that stratagem, and that was unfortunate, but not much I can do. Now I know better, and if someone tries that next time, you might get a punch in the dick, because that hurt a lot. To, to really, you know, uh, we all have access to the Battleforge. All the codexes right now are, are out. And so, uh, frankly, none of us have played that much 10th. And when someone says something, you have every right to take the time to go be like, I'm just going to read up on that, right? And if you're worried about the clock, let them do their thing, read up on it. And if they have to roll it back because you found out that that wasn't the case, that's on their time and that's okay. Uh, question everything, trust nothing. And there's nothing wrong with that, especially when you're playing competitive Warhammer. Fuck, even casual Warhammer, because nobody knows the rules. All of us made mistakes this weekend. Some of them are pretty big mistakes. Everyone made mistakes. All my opponents made mistakes. Um, and, like, just... Re- it's, it's okay to challenge people on stuff. And I yeah. encourage anyone out there to do it. 
I think it was even more unfortunate was I read the strat and I went, that makes sense. Okay, good. And I was like, oh no, that was not good. That, but, that can be a bit of the brain fi- or game five brain fog that you yeah. get to, you know. But there was a couple of rules. I was like, oh, this is kind of neat. They're very, it's pretty strong. So it was a great game against them. Uh, just couldn't do anything. He brought six tanks, a knight, Morgan Vall with her Paragon suits. Realizing Junith is pretty gross sitting in the back objective with Sacrosense. Just minus one to hit, minus one to wound. They have a two-up save, I think, three-up save maybe, going to a four-up involve. And I think I was shooting at it with my Tyrant, and he's like, oh, this is a four-up save. And I was like, wait, what am I actually shooting back here? Because uh, this is minus three going into your Sisters of Battle. Sis- I thought it was Sisters of Battle. He's like, yep, four-up involve. I was like, wait, maybe I should actually look what I'm shooting at, because uh, <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds way better than I thought it was. And then I was like, oh, beautiful. Most of the his army was beautifully painted, but they waved the paint thing, so some I think some vehicles didn't have back doors, this and that, but great guy to play against. I had lots of fun. So overall, great. I think I had a great event. That was my only loss of the day when I, I think he picked up three war dogs, and I was like, uh, that might be more than most people in this event killed, and then he started picking up another war dog, and then my tyrant, and then he kept going, and I was like, uh-oh. This is not going well. But I think the entire event, whenever I looked over at Scott's table, his models were on the other side of terrain, and I was going, uh-oh, that's not good. That's not good. Uh-oh, please please have models left. That one moment where I looked over at Arthur's game, I think it was game three, I looked over, and his Wraith Knight was on the side of the table, and it was like 15 minutes into the game. I was like, oh, no, this is not going well. But then I saw him pick it up and res- pick it up from his reserves and put it on the table. I was like, oh, thank God. Where it probably was removed shortly after. Yeah, I was like, uh-oh. Now, so, rereading so, this just, Sisters of Battle stratagem, I actually don't think that you're, you're too out to lunch being like that makes sense. It says, during your opponent's shooting phase, just after an enemy unit has resolved its attacks, one Adeptus Aurora's unit from your army that had one or more of its models destroyed as a result of the, shooting, uh, the attacking unit's attacks can shoot as if it were your shooting phase, but has to target the person who shot it. Uh, if, it, if when it says one model that was destroyed as a result of the attacks, you're like, okay, they destroyed my tank. That is a model that was destroyed. It's going to shoot back. But here's the rider. Once you pick that model up from the table and it is destroyed, that is not an eligible target for a stratagem. Yeah, because that's kind of the thing. The table. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. this stratagem. I don't think there was anything malicious here. This was. Nope, I, I don't think so. It made sense to both of us. Yeah, it was just a case of something being misplayed. So, would you say, however, Ryan, uh, that like Sisters of Battle confirmed OP? Uh, they're very strong. They have not. I was hoping they have very. He went into the game and he's like, "I'm doing fixed," which was I was like, "Oh man, okay, what are you going for?" And he's like, "Engage on front and deploy teleport homers." But he said it with such yeah. confidence that I didn't question it because he obviously had a plan. He used it all weekend. And yep. then I think we were turn two, and he's like, wait, why didn't I just do bring it down? You have only vehicles, and I could score that easier. And I was just like, you said it with confidence, man. I had no question you knew what you were doing. And then you looked up, and I think that light bulb moment where it came on, and you're like, wait, I could have just shot you and scored points and get engaged. I think that, it's important uh, to mention that this wasn't just sisters. They were 1,500 points of sisters and 500 points of Imperial Knights. Yeah. Like, exploding like sixes. Points, but, um, 
Yeah, that actual that specific combo of fixed objectives is actually the topic of of maybe a later podcast when we talk a bit about objectives again. It's a it's a pretty common combo for fixed uh, in certain armies. Um, so I'll give you a quick rundown of my games. Uh, let's see here. Game one, I played up against uh, a fellow named David Corrin, who was just wonderful. Uh, he was also playing Grey Knights, although he had also allied in a, a Imperial Knight. Um, that was my first game against Grey Knights in in uh, 10th edition as well. And uh, I can definitely see both the, the pros and the cons of the army that have been mentioned uh, by a lot of their players. I, I did find their movement to be, and, and David's a, quite a good player, um, to be very, very strong, uh, especially with you know me playing custodes. I, I literally had six units in my whole army, so he's dancing around me. And especially on tactical objectives, that mobility uh, can be a real, real strength. Um, but the flip side, of course, is that they, they do sometimes feel like they, they're a little bit pillow-fisted. And he was having trouble sticking damage to, admittedly, a, a fairly tough army like custodes. Um, so I can I can kind of see both sides of that one there, and our our game played out uh, pretty much like exactly as you might expect. I kind of just tried to shove middle and then force him out to the sides as much as possible and, and pin down units when I could, which was not often because of their mobility and their strats. Um, whereas he kind of just tried to, to play around me a little bit, and I think in the end uh, there was just it's just not a great matchup for for Grey Knights because they're just stuck on that strength six AP two bracket, which <clears throat> is not spectacular into custodes. Uh, it's game a good two melee profile into other other like infantry, but yeah. nothing in the game wants to fight custodes. Well, and it needs to be paired with enough attacks, and it needs to be paired with some rerolls. And I think Grey Knights really struggle for rerolls, at least from what I've been able to see. Um, they're one of those armies who did actually get the message from GW that there should be less rerolls in the game. Uh, unlike Custodes, for example. <clears throat> Anyhow, game two, I did a. We all played the Council of Tom, as mentioned. Uh, I played Thomas Yates, uh, who ended up winning Best Sport, and I absolutely think it was deserved. He was just a spectacular guy. Uh, he was running his beautiful Sisters of Battle army, uh, quite a bit of a different build from the one that that Ryan would play later on. Uh, this was more of an infantry fo uh, focused build. He did have uh, you know a few vehicles here and there. <clears throat> that that one was kind of tough. That was Scorched Earth. Um, which is actually a cool mission, um, and it was on Dawn of War, so like we have this very broad battle line. But the problem, I think, there is that the way the terrain was set up and the way that we had to deploy just allowed me to really push up quite far with him having very limited ability to shoot at me, um, which just, you know, that's really tough. <laughs> with Custodes, you really do need to, to leverage your ranged abilities while you can, and uh, that particular setup kind of really cut into what he could do. Uh, which meant that I was able to make contact with his army with quite a bit of mine. Uh, to his credit, uh, he actually, I think, played around me pretty well. At, at one point late in the game, he actually made a, I think it ended up being like a 22-point play uh, for my home objective, because he ended up pulling capture enemy outpost as well as scoring it, as well as burning it. <laughs> so it was just a massive play that he made with an immolator and a single retributor. Um, which goes to show you the guy's got uh, some tactical chops as well. Um, but in the end, it was just, it was a little too tough of a matchup in that particular terrain for him. So I did get the W there. Uh, game three, I finally, after a couple of years of, of passing in the night, got to play against uh, Nathan Scrazuti. Uh, of course, everybody knows he plays Black Legion. I play Custodes, or was for this uh, mission at least. Uh, so you guys can imagine this turns into a great big 
middle of the board brawl. It's actually my favorite type of game because it's just like a mushroom cloud over the the table turn two. Um, and that's kind of how when he did rock a couple of Forge Fiends, I think that that's uh, that particular um, uh, set of missions. I was I was the guy that we offered to their team, and he actually chose to face me. And I think that the idea was that he was running Forge Fiends, which are very good into custodes. They're a very strong range profile for taking custodes down. But again, uh, the train setup actually kind of limited his shooting. So we actually did have kind of a straight up and down kind of brawl, um, which I think played into the eventual result quite a bit, because I think if he gets a little bit more shooting that he actually <clears throat> has pretty good odds there. Uh, Black Legion's one of the few armies that can maybe match custodes in combat. Anyhow, uh, he did get first turn. He did push up a bit. We traded a little bit of pot shotting and then turn two, he just shoved. <laughs> he put his whole army into basically my whole army. Uh, and uh, we had a great big brawl for basically two turns as we were throwing it left, right and center uh, Two. Pretty key plays, I think, ended up swinging it in my favor. One of them was um, Abaddon taking a big, big swing uh, because he is just a monster in combat. He ended up sticking, I think it was like 11 wounds on a custode squad. And these are AP3-3 damage. He could literally pick up the whole squad. And I just spiked on saves. I think I saved like eight or nine of them, um, which is just a big luck swing for me. <clears throat> the other thing that uh, ended up... Uh, Unfortunately, very swinging things quite a bit was an illegal play on my part. Um, this is kind of the dangers of picking up an army that, you know, is your buddies and you maybe don't know quite as well, uh, where I improperly used uh, the Custodes Fight First stratagem, which is very powerful. Um, at one point in the game, uh, when I wasn't on an objective, and being on an objective is a requirement for it, and that actually allowed me to, later in the game, uh, take out Abaddon before he was able to swing a second time. Um, and from there, basically, you know, after I kind of won that overall melee in the middle, I was able to kind of push ahead and end up uh, taking that game. I think the final score ended up being like 98 to 78 or something like that. <clears throat> uh, the next day, when we showed up to the to play our, our next games uh, on Sunday, Nathan pulled me aside and mentioned that he had found out about uh, this uh, custom stratagem <clears throat> and, uh, you know, just asked me about that. And, Obviously, again, uh, that was all, this is an example of, you know, this is very much my bad. And I uh, talked to him a little bit about it. We looked it up, confirmed everything. He was actually very graceful to offer me a draw. I think he would have been more than in his right to, to ask that I, I forfeit that game. Uh, but he asked for a draw and I, I was happy to give that. So that uh, is kind of what, uh, what Ryan was mentioning there. It ended up becoming very important to the final standings because Arthur had lost his game. Ryan had won his and, and, uh, Nathan and I called ours a draw, but Ryan had ended up winning his game by a larger margin than Arthur had lost his. Uh, going into game four, I uh, I ended up playing. Geez, who did we end up playing first rounds there? Oh, I ended up playing Imp Imperial Guard. <laughs> Neil K, uh, wonderful guy, very fun to play into Guard. My first game against Guard in, in tenth edition. He was running both a Bane Sword and a Hellhammer and some Basilisks. A very artillery focused Guard list. Very, very fun to play into. Um, definitely a very swingy game. I think if we played that game 10 times over, we'd get different results every time in different ways. Um, he has tanks that can actually really pick up custodes, um, which very few people can say. Um, this particular mission, that didn't end up happening, and that, that contributed a lot to the win. He, uh, I think, again, the train played a good part of this. He ended up having to be, I think, a little bit more aggressive with the tanks and their movement than he would have liked. Um, 
and that kind of let my army move up and get engaged with some of this stuff sooner than would have been ideal and that kind of ended up letting me get those kills early and you know once those big tanks are down i i there's a lot less to threaten me um, but we had a great time. That was a very fun game. And actually, the, the score was pretty tight. And he actually played Teleport Homers and Engage on All Friends as fixed objectives. And he, I think he maxed them both. Uh, he had a very specific strategy in mind, and he executed it very well. And that's right. Letting Guardsmen die, coming back into strategic. Yep. And, and using a few Deep Strike squads uh, to also help out and just making sure that his army is well separated. I mean, like, it, it, maxing Engage isn't easy, but his army did it fairly well. Uh, finally, game five, I also played into Necrons. The Necron player, who uh, Sean, uh, who actually was we knew was on the team, uh, not the sub-in. Uh, Sean was was a very good guy. He was playing a, a triple Catan list, um, which is super, super interesting, along with, uh, you know, your standard Lich Guard blob, your Warrior blob, couple Tar Pits, you know, some Heavy Destroyers, Reanimator, all the all the usual Necron toys. Um, that was a very interesting game. We both uh, were were very impressed with the other guy's army and their capabilities. It's actually gotten me working on my Necrons now because I, I was just really enjoying what he was showing me about the army. Um, he kind of had a, a bad first turn. Uh, we were kind of playing chicken with each other a bit because neither one wanted to really move into the other one and kind of take that first brunt of attacks. But I was able to use some movement to kind of wheel around him a bit. We both kind of traded sides. Uh, by turn three, we were actually sitting on each other's home objectives. So our armies had really danced around each other. But uh, he he kind of felt pressured, I think, because my big blobs are just so incredibly destructive that they can even cut through some of the tanky Necron stuff. Um, and so he felt pressured to kind of maybe get aggressive on one or two of them. And that allowed me after, you know, uh, a couple of, I think for me, just fortunate dice rolls to really get ahead a little bit by taking out one of the Catan by itself and the warriors while they were isolated and things like that. <clears throat> and eventually I ended up being able to take that, that win, although, uh, it was actually a pretty close game. So at the end of it, uh, I had finished off a uh, four O and one. Uh, and our whole team, I guess, on the weekend would have then finished, uh, what, 12, 12, uh, 2 and 1, 12, 1 and 2, depending on where you put the draw. <laughs> uh, so we had a very good go, and we did end up taking first place, uh, which was wonderful. And uh, Hobbs Hobbies provided us with, not just us, actually, with the whole whole tournament with just an amazing arraignment of, of uh, gift cards and swag and prizes, raffle prizes. It's, it was just wonderful. They, they really put out for that uh, tournament and we were happy to come home with the hardware. You so know, just team to... events, team events in general are out uh, they're, they're different from a normal event. And I think maybe my favorite part about them is that you can't play people from your stable, right? I don't have to worry about playing in Trident. And in fact, I actually, and I don't think you guys can remember either. The last time one of the three of us played an event that the other two were there and we didn't play each other. At some point in time, yeah. right? right? Yeah, Scott's, Scott's my gatekeeper at most events. I've never beaten Scott in an event. Yeah, I haven't beat Scott in Warhammer yet. One yeah, tie. One tie with gross Necrons and Ninth. That was it. You know, you know, we were we were team building and getting real close and becoming such good buds all weekend, and now you guys just want to tear it apart. Yeah. With a cactus. Babe, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going Eldar now. Okay, okay guys. I said we talk. I said we talk about the 
team event. I just said we, the, the rest of the things that happen in Strathmore, they stay in Strathmore. Okay, yeah. we're gonna keep that off the internet. This this is a PG rated podcast. The little little Vegas of Alberta. <laughs> little Vegas. That's what we're calling it from now on. You uh, so the wrap thing. Great slingshot in Strathmore. Oh my goodness. Oh my. We're stop it, Diddy. Um, okay. To wrap things up, I do want to hear from you guys just generally. Give me some general thoughts on this team event. Uh, I think this is the first team event that Trident has ever represented itself in. Um, obviously a smaller event, but nonetheless, it's a thing. Uh, we obviously, the, the weekend had some ups and downs as far as both the games and, and also like just the logistics of the event went. Um, so give me a few thoughts and then cap it off with giving me just... Uh, full context, out of 10 star rating that you would have given this event. Uh, go ahead. Lead us off, Arthur. Okay. Um, you know what? Like Team events in general, the last time I played a team event caused me to quit Warhammer more than a year. Uh, because at that time, I got countered like every single matchup. And to be honest, I didn't do enough meta prep for that event to be good into it. Um, when you look at a team event in a nutshell, one argument that it has is that it uh, it presents that you want to create as much skew as possible so that no matter who you get matched up into, you can out-skew them. And I think actually that that's not true. That team events want to be uh, maybe a, like a little bit of skew, but also they need to be take-all-comers because you're going to get bad matchups. Uh, sometimes by the very nature of that, you have to throw someone up and they're going to throw something into that. So, uh, list building is actually a bit different than normal, but at the same time, it might also not be. I think more important is team building. In our case, we had two players who we could throw up, and two army lists who we could throw out that were both durable, that uh, might not have a bad matchup. And for us, that was both knights and custodies. And when they had anti-knights tech, we threw up the custodies. Because they didn't have two anti-knights tech. And you kind of need anti-knights tech for the custodies matchup. Uh, so th I think for team events, it's really important to have uh, like a good dynamic and understanding of how the event is played. You need an anchor. Um, maybe two. <laughs> you need to have a, a dynamic and variable. And then I think you want some meta tech. Um, I think that maybe I didn't meta tech hard enough for the mirror matchup. I'm now, I've now lost two mirror matches in Eldar, and uh, I think that uh, you know that can be addressed. One of the cool things I saw from this event in specific is there was a lot of meta tech to beat out things like D-Cannons. Exorcists are good in the D-Cannons. Uh, Guard Artillery are good in the D-Cannons. And I think that people are starting to figure out, hey, here's how I can beat out Lone Operative. Here's how I can kill out D-Cannons. Here's how I can play a game, especially in the Eldar. And I hope that with the balance patch and the Eldar nerfs, we're going to start to see that win rate come down to reasonable level and some other things buff up as for this event in particular how many uh you know ooze out of 10 how many how many gold stars how many thumbs up how many uh scotches down um well i think their terrain was adequate but not excellent i think that uh, they had nice mats and tables and i think that the hall and the venue was quite nice and i think it was cost appropriate uh they had outstanding pricing they offered lunch the location was excellent, and I would even argue that their TOing was quite good. They responded immediately to any questions. They had the balance match in place in an era where it's actually really hard to do that on the heels of 10th. So for that, I'm once again going to give this event a 9 out of 10. 
And I don't know what that 10 out of 10 is it's, it's missing from. Um, they didn't have the outstanding refreshments and snacks of Hometown Previous, right? Like, they had some pops and it was there, but uh, it was that. Um, you know, what are some things they can improve upon? I think the terrain was okay, but it could have been better. Um, and you know what? For any organizer out there, here, here's what I tell you. Ask players to bring a bin of terrain. You know, if you got a team coming down, be like, hey guys, you might bring a bin. Even if you don't use it, having the extra one there would enable you to have excellent terrain. Um, I think that their missions maybe were a mistake. I want to see less chilling rain. And I know that the Leviathan competitive missions pack says that chilling rain is uh, an event in May. But I think we're not using the entirety of the mission pack to an interesting way enough. There's no reason we can't use those other missions. Um, get rid of Servo Skulls. I will not give your event a 10 out of 10 if we're playing Servo Skulls because it is not a good competitive event. Uh, I like some of the other ones. I like uh, Scorched Earth. I think the Relic is neat. I don't know if it's a good competitive event. Um, but, like, we we have lots of primary missions. Can we fucking stop playing Servo Skulls? So, 9 out of 10, I would highly recommend going to it. Event. I, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to go to the next time they host one down in Calgary. Uh, if we can make the one in October in uh, Saskatchewan work, maybe we'll attend. It's a bit harder. It's kind of an awkward time for a lot of us. But, uh, 9 out of 10. Ryan. Uh, was, yeah, a lot of the points you said, I definitely agree with. Uh, my first actual team event, so it was kind of neat to get that aspect of it. It was a uh, definitely neat experience going against it. Uh, I yeah, I think train train some some were a little weaker, but I'm also bringing towering models, so weaker train is a big benefit, especially when, as I said before. First floor is not blocked, which I think for events, you should. Especially if someone brings knights or this or that. At least they let someone hide in a building without the threat of it. That was a main factor. And I think probably four of my five games, even six. Like I shot at Junith on her home objective and he's like, oh, you can't see me. I was like, there's a small hole in this wall. I can see you. And I was like, I got to use it because it's available. But I, I don't think... I think first floor should always be blocked. Maybe even how hometown, maybe people start adopting how hometown did it. Because even I could start hiding knights with some of these bigger, taller features that are three, four stories tall. But that's, I guess, my swing on things is I I think I would have preferred first floor to be blocked. And that's saying a lot coming from a knights guy. Just because it eliminates that factor of, oh, I can see him in that building. I am sorry for this. <laughs> and then I open up with 1,200 points in my army into that guy hiding in a building that the I would never, yeah, I would never see before. But uh, great place. The hall was nice, very open. A uh, lot of wind going through it, so it was always cool in there. That was always a good aspect. When I think it was 30 degrees all weekend. Uh, Strathmore is a good area. It was nice of John to open up Hobbs Hobbies afterwards the event. Because I don't know when the next time I'd be going to Strathmore is when he gave the gift certificate for the win. So it was nice of him to open up the hobby, do other people that wanted to come down, buy a buy something. He gives a tour of the store, which is a lot more than I was expecting. And it was I was pleasantly surprised. His hobby room, his area that he wants to do, his little area, the board game he helped create, he was showing us. It was a definitely a neat aspect. There was prize support, and I was like, oh. Magic the Gathering is kind of a neat thing. Maybe I'll pick that card, see what cards I pulled. 
and then I just pulled a ring. And, <laughs> any ring. Yeah, I know. I, I, got, I, got, I got a little excited because I was like, oh, maybe it's that $2 million card, but that one's already, I had to Google that quite a bit to see. But uh, I, found out, <laughs> I found out that was already claimed, so that was unfortunate, but that was a pleasant surprise. A couple of neat cards in there that I'm like, brings me back to when I first saw Lord of the Rings, so that was a nice little nostalgia point. Uh, I think the event, it'd be like 8.8 cactuses or cacti or cactuses, whatever you want to call it. 8.8 fired out of a slingshot. Good lord. Yeah, but... If anybody, if anybody's uh, ever looking for any cactus-related memorabilia or paraphernalia, you guys know who to hit up. It's, It's Arthur here. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I, I have a, a, a lot of uh, positive thoughts about this event, despite the challenges they ended up facing. And in some ways, I actually kind of feel like giving them a, a better score simply because of those challenges. Uh, I think anybody who's ever TO'd knows that it's not always as easy as it might look. There is sure a lot of sitting around doesn't look like you're terribly busy, but there there can be there can be challenges. Um, and these guys, you know, on the one hand, <clears throat> they they had to uh, ring, be ringers, uh, and play games while also trying to TO, which is always a bit of a head scratcher. And then having uh, BCP have trouble this weekend a lot of troubles and, and crashing and, and causing all sorts of delays is just like a nightmare for a TO. And you, especially when you're, you know, you're trying to keep everyone happy, you're trying to make things look great. And it just, just feels bad. Uh, and I think that really all things considered, they did handle things quite well. Uh, and I really want to uh, give them the shout out for just, just handling those things as they did. I also think it was great to see a lot of guys come together and work together to try to solve things and everybody being really good, both with, both with patience and also with effort to try to make sure, you know, terrain was getting swapped between rounds and scores were getting reported properly and people trying to do math and trying to help on the technical front. It was. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the things that kind of make the community so awesome. Is that we can we can have events like this where a lot of people who don't know each other are uh, doing good work to just kind of make the event happen. Uh, I think the the space uh, was spectacular. That's a wonderful little hall they had there. Uh, all the tables had a, a good amount of space around them. You never had to worry about bumping into people. Uh, the mats were gorgeous. There were lots of spare tables for setting your stuff up and whatever. Um, things were relatively uh, well organized, I thought. Um, as Arthur and and uh, Ryan had mentioned here, I think the train was was definitely good, but but like probably can be better. To be to be honest with you, I, <laughs> terrain's kind of always something that can be better. Uh, it's more more likely that you find a good table or two than you find a whole event of good tables. Um, but it's also we're kind of in a weird spot right now where we're kind of transitioning between ninth edition terrain and this tenth edition setups that GW has kind of given to us. Um, so whilst I do think sometimes that hey, well this terrain could be better, I also have a lot of respect for the TOs for being on the vanguard uh, who are exploring this and being basically the guinea pigs, letting the rest of us find out what is good, what is bad, what works, what doesn't. Um, so a lot of appreciation for that. Uh, as you guys mentioned. There was a spectacular amount of prize support, um, and and also you know amenities were great, <clears throat> partially because of the the hall being in a great spot, but also lunch was served and and everything was quite uh, as Arthur mentioned the the costs for both signing up for the tournament and anything you wanted to buy there were great. 
I think that it was uh, very, very accessible, uh, regardless of your income. Opponents were were great guys. I mean, it's always kind of a, a bit of a crapshoot when for guys like us in Edmonton to come come down into a different community where we're not going to know people as well. You always don't you don't know who, <laughs> what you're going to get. Uh, the Warhammer community in general is is a wonderful group of guys, but sometimes you run into people that you just don't you just don't have a CI to eye with, or or maybe some guys who are just struggling a bit with one thing or another, and you never want to have those awkward matchups. And I think for the most part, we were we were pretty happy with both uh, the quality and the character of our, our competition. Um, so altogether, uh, if I were to throw out a number, you know, I, I think I would probably rate this, like had things gone perfectly smoothly, I might've, I might've thrown out like, I don't know, like a seven and a half or an eight. Uh, I would bump that up a full point just because things went wrong, but they got handled amazingly well. Um, and I'd probably bump it up another little bit too, just for the team tournament factor. Uh, again, I said it earlier and I'll say it again now. If you guys ever get a chance to play in a team tournament, you should, even if you don't think you'll do very well. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a fun experience. It's a little bit of a different, different experience. And it does honestly bond you a little bit with those guys. It's nice to be able to sit down and not just, you know, shoot the shit about how your games have been going or what you think you can do better or worse but actually have good strategic discussions about how you're going to operate as a team. What one guy wants, what, what another guy wants, how one guy thinks that this guy can do better here or help out uh, or try to help out a buddy or whatever. Um, and also makes for better stories after the fact. Uh, I think we probably spent just as much time talking about our matches as we did playing them this weekend, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and it just makes all the good times and the bad times that much better. So I really want to thank, uh, Oz and, and Darren and Hobbs, Hobbs Hobbies and everybody who contributed. Uh, I know Nathan and Prairie Fire Wargaming also did a bunch for this. Um, so big thanks to all of them. I would say, all things considered, I'd give this event at least a 9. <clears throat> 9 out of 10. And uh, as Arthur said, I'm more than happy to go go back again next year or whenever and, uh, and do that. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see if we find any other team events to go to later this year. And also, I highly encourage people to watch out because 2024, you might be just be seeing a Trident Run team tournament come your way. Now, there's actually Trident events before 2024 coming up. Uh, we have Iron Within. That one's in August. We have Hallowtide. That one's in October. Those are two must-attend events in Edmonton. They're going to be the best run events, um, mostly because we're going to have a handle on 10th edition but also because we got the best bar servers, we got the best terrain, we got the best TOs, and we got the best players. Uh, so make sure you come up to those. Absolutely. Do either of you have any final thoughts you'd like to add before I carry us out here? I'd like to do uh, like one super five-minute you know, segment here, a quick roundtable, about uh, just like one tip or trick, a competitive tip or trick that you might be able to give uh, a listener. Something that you picked up in one of your many matches of 10th, or just something that uh, you think is important to success for 10th. Um, I'll go first. I'll throw it to Ryan, and then I'll throw it to Scott. Uh, I said it last time. I'm going to double down on this. 10th is about controlling those middle objectives. Uh, whether that's the center or the two side ones. Like, so many of the tactical missions require you to be on those. So you need to, from a list standpoint, either build for fixed, which mostly means you're either doing cleanse, teleport homers, engage in the fronts, or bring it down, or assassinate. Or you are building a list that either has the speed to get on those middle objectives to score points or the durability to get on them and stay on them. So uh, if you want to win games in 10th, 
Middle objectives matter. That is 10th edition. Ryan, one tip or trick for competitive? Uh, I guess the biggest tip or trick that I can think of is don't be afraid to ask questions about uh, if you confuse on the mission, confuse on your opponent's intent, what their army can do. I know I tend to ask a lot of questions about other guys' armies because I do want to learn. I do want to know tips and tricks for that. Just if I ever do come along with a guy whose first event is here, I have some, oh, first time playing this? Have you tried thinking about this? And I do watch a lot of battle reports in the background while I paint and hobby and do this. Uh, if you play against me, I'm probably going to ask what the, your unit does 18 different times. It'll be the same unit, and I might ask in a row. You'll give me all the information. <laughs> I will look like I'm listening. I will miss one aspect of your the, the, your explanation. I'm like, hey, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you go over that last bit just a little bit again because I'm trying to absorb it all, get a little distracted and... Uh, I missed the part where he says, oh, my weapons are strength 18. And I'm like, oh, these aren't that bad. Then he shoots at me and I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is way worse than I thought it was going to be. But uh, yeah, I think my tip or trick is don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to voice your intent while you're playing. Make sure that I like the play by intention. But if you don't tell me what you're intending to do, I'm not going to be able to guess that. And I'm here to play my one army that I'm already struggling to play. I don't want to play a second army at the t team or I'll end up playing against myself and losing like some people I might know, but, <laughs> but I think that's my biggest tip for 10th. That's uh that's great advice, Ryan. I think that it's especially, especially relevant uh, early here in 10th where so many of us are not just relearning the game, but also completely relearning lots of different armies. Right. Um, I think probably uh, my best advice right now would be to be ready to change your plan, um, especially with the, the prevalence of tactical objectives. If you're playing with those, I've seen a few folks get stuck into the mindset of, you know, uh, dividing the table in half and trying to play like that. Um, you don't need to play like that. And you probably shouldn't intend. You need to build your army and build your mindset to play fluidly, be ready to move all over the table and whatever plans you may have could always be changed by not just your own objective draws, but possibly your opponents if they're drawing cards. Uh, and with the way that units tend to stick around a little bit more in 10th and the nature of how Battleshock functions, which I know a lot of people don't feel it makes a huge difference, but generally when it makes a difference, it's making a huge difference. Uh, I think that you need to be willing to trade table sides, uh, trade units, uh, completely shift your whole battle line, and uh, just be thinking about that a little bit more intensely uh, in 10th edition compared to 9th edition, where uh, um, I feel like battles sometimes had a very set-piece uh, battle kind of feel to them. Uh, so that it's kind of a broad piece, but I've just noticed in a few of my games, uh, especially... With a couple of my opponents this past weekend, I, I saw plays that they could make and they just didn't want to move uh, because they felt like it's, it's weird to give up their deployment zone or something like that. Do it. If it makes sense, go for it. Alrighty, uh, before we shut off, I would like to send out a quick thank you to some, a few of our Patreon members, uh, Dustin, Frederick, Chris, and Tyler. Thank you very much for supporting us, guys. Uh, obviously, <laughs> that kind of help, helps us more than anything. And we are forever in your debt, especially Ryan. Um, and uh, we also, of course, want to 
send a, a big thank you there to all of those folks who are watching us here now on YouTube or picking us up on Spotify, even checking us out on the trida.com website because you know that this will be playable right from there, right from launch. And of course, a special thanks to my two new best buddies, Arthur and Ryan. Yeah, trios, yeah. Best team trio in the world. Guaranteed. In, uh, specifically Alberta. Undisputed champions of trios. Undisputed champions of trios. Well, yeah. You guys can't say that. I'm I'm a I'm gonna catch a whole bunch of flack for that one. Yeah, Being you the undisputed will. doubles champs of all time. I can't be the undisputed trios champs of all time as well. But maybe it's well, time, maybe it's time we add a fourth. Well, Bill's gotta get good sometimes, so we just force <laughs> it on him. We some applications. <laughs> if you want to try out to be the trident fourth for maybe the upcoming uh tournament in Saskatchewan or otherwise. Uh, mess, you know, write something down in the comments. Maybe we can set you up. You have to beat the gauntlet of both Scotty, Ryan, and myself uh, on three separate tables at the same time with a chess club. But don't be too good, because I still want to play in these events. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want too many good people, otherwise we got to replace the whole team. Yeah, I can't submarine all the time. Alrighty, well, thanks for coming out to chat with me tonight, guys. Uh, thanks to everybody for coming by to listen. Thanks for having me. In the next podcast. Good night, everybody. Did you plug the Patreon? We need to plug the Patreon.